what I said in my episode about Ney, he was outside of Napoleon, he was probably the most inspiring martial general that the French had. The troops loved him. He was in the lines with them. He was battling with them. And he was almost like a mystic warrior. Like he could have fit in in Genghis Khan's army or Eisenhower's army, or he was a, he was a soldier. At the end of the day, he, that's all he wanted to be. Hello and welcome to the Aspects of History podcast. My name's Oliver Webb Carter and I'm the editor and your host. Today is a bit of a comfort pod as I welcome the hugely popular Generals and Napoleon podcast host, John Viscardo. I'm a listener of John's podcast and a big fan of, and John wrote a nice piece on our website. But now we team up and chat about Generals and Napoleon. So we chat our favourite French marshals and of course Marshal Ney features heavily. We talk about our favourite Napoleonic battles. Wellington gets a mention, as well as plenty of others. If you're not familiar with the Napoleonic Wars, which took place from 1803 to 1815, they're a hugely epic, glorious, brutal and violent era, when armies of hundreds of thousands fought across almost every state in Europe. I've put links in the show notes for John's pod. Do have a listen. He's got some great guests, including a Hollywood star. But before you do that, sit back and relax with us talking generals and Napoleon. Right. Welcome, John Viscardo. Have I have I pronounced that right? Actually, you nailed it. Yeah, Sorry. nice job, John Viscardo. Welcome. Yeah. And this is the first time I've done this. Actually, we we are we're doing a we're doing a sort of listeners. We are doing a cross pollination show. So John Viscardo is the distinguished presenter of Napoleon and his generals podcast. So any listeners interested in Napoleon and his generals should definitely listen to his podcast series of course i'll be putting links in the show notes but john welcome thank you thank you for having me and yeah it's actually um i flipped i originally had it napoleon and his generals but i wanted to make the podcast generals and napoleon so the reason for that is i i think napoleon gets way i mean he gets he's very talented very smart man but he gets way too much credit for how well his army did he had some very talented generals so that's why I called it generals and Napoleon. And also I wanted to talk about, you know, British generals and Prussian generals and Russian generals. So I didn't want it all to be Napoleon podcast because there's a lot of those out there. And I just wanted it to be kind of unique in that way. Fair enough. Yeah. Sorry. I thought it was. Yeah, I should have. No I'll, I'll do some um, clever editing, perhaps. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Uh, well, well, today we, we're, we're going to have a bit of a chat around. I mean, you're the master. So I'm. I'm I've got a little bit of knowledge around the Peninsula War where a succession okay. of uh, marshals appeared were defeated and then left again or yeah or uh, and and one of whom who I always rather admired can we kick off with one then Marshal I think Please. it was Marshal Jordan yeah Marshal Jordan yeah I think lost yeah. his arm or uh, at... uh, that- Sorry. That was Marshal Marmont. Uh, Jordan was um, a talented guy. He was in an impossible position, though. He was made chief of staff to Napoleon's brother, King Joseph. And King Joseph, nice guy, somewhat obsessed with luxury, but not a military strategist like his brother. I think Zamoyski's called him an idiot. 
Yeah, yeah. That, that maybe, I was trying to be nice. That's a better word for it. Uh, but it, an impossible job because you're taking orders from Napoleon in Paris, who's you know miles away from Madrid. Those orders get disseminated to Jordan, who then sends them on to the field commanders all around Spain and Portugal, who don't really like Jordan or King Joseph, have very low opinions of their military um, strategies. And they also knew that only one man's opinion really mattered, and that was Napoleon's in Paris. So if they wanted to follow Jordan's advice, they could. If they wanted to ignore it, they could. And I think Jordan, that put him in an impossible position to really have any effectiveness in Spain. So there have been a number of um, marshals. I, I always have an admiration of Marshal Salt. Salt, yep. Uh, Marmont. Marmont was meant to be very good until he uh, got seriously injured, didn't he? He did, yeah, yeah, at the Battle of um, uh, Salamanca. He was. I've, I've been uh, to the battlefield. Yeah, he was a kind of a wonder kind. He was like Napoleon's prodigy, very smart guy, very talented in artillery, but kind of got full of himself. He ruled Dalmatia kind of out in Croatia on his own for several years. He did a great job, great administrator, smart guy, but I think he was also battling, as Sult was, one of the best 10 commanders of all time in the Duke of Wellington. And I, I don't think I don't think that gets mentioned enough. There, I would say there are three geniuses in this time period. One is Napoleon, two is Wellington, and three, although not a genius in, say, military strategy, was Marshal Berthier, who was Napoleon's chief of staff, very good with numbers, very good with maps. In fact, his maps of North America are still on display at Princeton University. Just a really smart guy, knew logistics before the word logistics was even around. So I think there was three really genius, I guess, generals that came out of this period, and the French had two of them. But getting back to your point about Soult, he had a losing record, but very talented tactician. But again, you're up against the Duke of Wellington, and you have to know your army, you have to know a strategy, and you have to be able to improvise on the fly, which is something Marshal Soult could not do. It's interesting you mention about Wellington. I get the sense you're saying he's sort of not really appreciated enough in certain quarters because in the, on these islands, sure. he, he's, he's viewed as, I think many people would argue, better than Napoleon. Yeah. Um, I had that poll question uh, a few weeks ago on my Twitter page, which is at and Napoleon on Twitter. But it was like, which was the better commander, Wellington or Napoleon? And it was... It was, I was closer than I thought it would be. Napoleon won the poll. Here's my opinion. If I was tied to a poll and my life depended on someone winning one battle and I, had, I could do nothing about it, I would choose the Duke of Wellington to, to win that battle for me. However, if it was someone to win a campaign, take over a country's capital or launch a, a two-year campaign to win something, I would choose Napoleon every day of the week and twice on Sunday. I think they were just Napoleon had to think of so many other things besides the battlefield. He had to think of France, uh, alliances, all these other factors in his head where Wellington just had to focus on winning the battle and, you know, kind of keeping the, the kicking out of France from Spain. That was his main goal was, was doing that. And at Waterloo uh, was just beating the French. That was his one thing he had to keep in his mind. Napoleon had to do all these other things. Yeah, it's interesting that because the Duke of Wellington, it's not really his MO to conquer whereas no. that was definitely what napoleon wanted to do right and, and and i think the duke of wellington was cognizant of that like he 
even in the Pyrenees campaign when, you know, it's 18, 13, 18, 14, and he's starting to move into France, but he notices a lot of the Spanish are pillaging, you know, they're getting back at the French for years of occupation. So Wellington sends them home. He's like, I, I can't have you causing a civil war or a, some sort of rebellion due to your pillaging. I'm just going to send the Spanish army home and I'll, I'll take care of this, the French on my own. He was very aware that he was not a, a conquering force where he's going to occupy France and take over the country. His job was just evict the, the French from Portugal and Spain, and hopefully peace would occur once he did that, which he did. But then I guess the criticism of Wellington is that it took him a long time to do that. It was a good five years, wasn't it? It, it did. And I think that's, that's, a, that's a fair criticism. In some ways, it is not. You know, Spain and, and Portugal are very mountainous countries. It's very hard to get supplies and live off the land. He was dealing with allies that were dubious at best. The Spanish wanted to do things their way. Portuguese had to be trained in British methods. So anyone who's been in a coalition knows how hard it is to keep that coalition moving forward and depending on each other. You know, the French had to do it too. They had, you know, Polish allies and Dutch allies, and they had they had allies in their army as well. But I think getting across Portugal and Spain with a smaller force, I mean, I don't think... Wellington had more than 50 or 60,000 troops at any one time. The French had 200,000 in Spain. So he had to be very, he had to pick his battles very carefully so as not to be overwhelmed by the French. Well, one battle that he does show his attacking talent, and I didn't, we ended up talking about Wellington too much, probably. That's fine. But Salamanca is, is yeah. quite an impressive display from Wellington, isn't it? It is. And I think it might be his best battle. Uh, Waterloo. I think he gets too much credit for it because uh, Blucher and the Prussians helped quite a bit with that battle. That was um, the plan, though. <laughs> right. All the grand plan. That's right. But yeah, getting back to Salamanca, that one was interesting because Marmont was in charge of the uh, French army. And he was initially doing a good job. He was trying to flank around Wellington's army. He was mirroring what Wellington did with his moves. And just for whatever reason, he got lazy and allowed his corps commanders to get um, too far apart from each other. Wellington's, of course, the famous story is eating chicken. He sees this gap in the French lines and he says, all right, that'll do. And he throws down the chicken leg and says, basically charge. And Marmont saw it too, but he was injured by, I think it was a cannonball as he was trying to rectify the situation. So he's knocked out. His second in command takes over, but he's quickly gunned down as well. So for like 20 minutes, there's no command structure in that French army until this guy, a really smart guy named Clausel, General Clausel takes over. But in that 20 minutes, basically the battle's over because he's already sent his force through that gap. And the old story goes, you know, Wellington beat an army of 40,000 in 40 minutes. So I, I, I think it was his best one. Clausel manages to retrieve the situation somewhat for the French. But yeah, if, if Wellington were going to say, in my mind, what was my best battle outside of India, I think it was uh, Salamanca. And Marshal Marmont, I think after Waterloo, Wellington, you must know this story, Wellington meets Marmont and says, can I introduce you to this man who I believe you know, who it turns out was the man in charge of the artillery battery that took his arm? I, yeah, I think I did hear that story. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of Marmont after 1815. You know, he voted for the death of Marshal Ney. You know, he kind of... He was a tutor to Napoleon's son and kind of tried to turn his son against the, the story of his father. And then 
1830 he tried to put down a revolt with very poor results, which caused King Charles to have to flee the country. So uh, it's too bad because Marmont also he surrendered uh, his army in 1814 without Napoleon's permission. So it's I like Marmont as a as a tactician, but as a man, I'm not a huge fan of his um, his lack of political courage. I just I, I just don't like the guy. Well, nay, if he's almost the opposite, because if I if I were to ask who my favorite French marshal was, it would be nay every single. Good day. answer, my man. That's my favorite as well. He and, and I know people are like, ah, oh, he was terrible at Waterloo. He did a rotten job, and I I, I don't think he gets enough credit for how well of a job he did there. But I, what I said in my episode about Ney, he was outside of Napoleon. He was probably the most inspiring marshal general that the French had. The troops loved him. He was in the lines with them. He was battling with them. And he was almost like a mystic warrior. Like he could have fit in in Genghis Khan's army or uh, Eisenhower's army, or he, he was just, he was a, he was a soldier at the end of the day. He, that's all he wanted to be. Now, did he enjoy the, the, the trappings and the comforts of being a marshal? Absolutely. He would have big lunches with many courses and silver, you know, trays and all that kind of stuff. But he's my favorite for many reasons. And, and ultimately, he pays the ultimate price, which is getting shot by a firing squad in a country that he fought 100 battles for and zero against. So I, he just has a big soft spot in my heart. He's just a, an interesting guy. And uh, there's also intrigue about, you know, did he escape to America and escape the firing squad? There's just so much mystique to the guy. And I visited the quote unquote grave of Peter Stewart in North Carolina, and they were doing some tests on the bones there this summer. So I'm, I, I'm interested to see if that is actually Marshall Ney in North Carolina, even though there's probably a 1% chance that it is. But I, I just think his story is so intriguing. I think Bernard Cornwall wrote about that in his, the author of the Sharp series, wrote about in his mind, or certainly in his novels, Ney gets away. But what, what, why? Remind me why Ney was shot by firing squad. It's a, it's a tragic end to a truly great man. It is, yeah. So in 1815, Napoleon escapes from Elba and is marching, you know, with his little band of troops towards Paris, right? So King Louis XVIII, who's in charge, and says, "All right." Someone's got to stop this guy. I, I can't have him taking over Paris again. And Marshal Ney walks in, who's in the, you know, he's in the army for King Louis and the Royals. He says, I will bring back Napoleon in an iron cage. Don't you worry, your majesty. No problem. Sure enough, he goes down there and he kind of sees the writing on the wall that his troops are going to go over to Napoleon's side. So he has two choices. He can go over to Napoleon's side too, or... He can flee the country like some of the other marshals did. Our Marmont, our friend, again, MacDonald, Victor, kind of flee the country with King Louis. Napoleon writes him this very nice letter, like, I will welcome you into the army as I did at the Battle of Moscow, which is the Battle of Moscow. He escapes almost certain death on the retreat, and Napoleon welcomes him back after he escapes this Russian onslaught. So... What happens, though, you know, Napoleon loses Waterloo. Ney's one of the main corps commanders there. And King Louis reclaims the throne. And obviously, he can't have, he must have blood for this treasonous behavior. And even though in the peace agreement, uh, the royals said, no, we won't, we won't have any white terror. We won't kill anyone who committed treason or throw them in jail. That's exactly what they did. And I think 
Nay, for whatever reason, was the main scapegoat. So after a trial uh, led actually by uh, like a military tribunal led by our friend King or Marshal Jordan says we're incompetent. We can't try this this great man. He's a marshal. They moved on to this different chamber of peers, they call it. And this group of 500 condemns Nay to death. Uh, I think it was in December of 1850. And he's lined up on a wall and shot for treason. I get why they did it, because they had to make an example out of somebody. Like, we can't have our army rising up against King Louis ever again. But to choose this great man who saved the army in Russia, who fought, like he said, hundreds of battles for France, it, it's just tragic to me that they made an example out of one of their best generals. The bravest of the brave, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It, it just, and I think it left a bad taste in everyone's mouth. Even some of the royals, after they did it, were kind of regretful. Marshal Deville was shocked that anyone would condemn this man to, to death. He even said, no one can commit this man. We, we can't have the death sentence issued against him. Not even Ragusa would, would do that, Marmont. And of course, Marmont was one of the, the ones who voted for death. So it's just a tragic end to a, a, a great story of Marshall Ned. It is. It is. If any listeners have still got dry eyes, they can be heartened, all of the listeners, in fact, because they'll know that he did make it to America and live happily ever after. Yeah, that, that that's kind of the thought I had that he did escape. And he was a Mason, a Freemason, as was Wellington. So there was some allegations that maybe Wellington helped him escape with a, a fake packet of blood in his in his coat. And if you look at the painting, the famous painting of Marshal Ney, he's on his face, like he's face down. If you get shot with a barrage of musket balls, you're usually flat on your back. So even the painting is somewhat mysterious that they show him on his front laying down instead of flat on his back dead. So there's there's enough little intrigue in there to think maybe he did get away. But yeah, 99%, he's probably buried in that that cemetery in, in, in Paris. Well, he, he served in Spain as well. But... He did. No, he was there a couple of years, but Napoleon oh, right. was quick to use a, a British word, sack his generals in Spain. And I think, again, he was sending orders down to Spain, but they would be two weeks late. The maps were terrible. The roads were terrible in Spain. So I think, you know, Marshal Massena was one of his best, didn't fare too well. He argued with Ney quite a bit. And Massena was the one who sent Ney home after uh, many instances of insubordination. Ney did an okay job there. He caused Wellington to have a few setbacks, but he also burned a few villages there, which I can't condone. You know, he was just, he was frustrated. And he's a big believer in honor and glory. And that's how you make French soldiers do well, is imbuing them like a sense of honor that we're doing a just thing. And the invasion of Spain and Portugal was not. It was a territory grab, a money grab. And, and I think Ney knew it. And his performance kind of shows that his, his heart wasn't really into that, that peninsula war. Well, that, that war was an, it was a nasty war with, you mentioned 200,000 French troops, but I mean, there are estimates of around, was it a, about a hundred thousand pinned down by the local population, which is where we get the word guerrilla from. Correct. Yeah, there were many hundreds of thousands pinned down. I think the final estimate was like 250,000 French and French allies were killed or wounded in that five, six year war. So it was just, it was awful. And there's, I mean, acts of violence and 
reciprocatory violence on both sides. Um, one British, one French general was lowered into a vat of oil. They, he was captured by the guerrillas and they lowered him into a vat of oil and killed him. French soldiers are known to hang, they were known to hang the Spanish guerrillas along the roads, you know, commit other acts of barbarism and rape. So it was a nasty little war on both sides. And uh, I don't think Napoleon realized how it was sucking the morale out of his army until it was too late. So if you had your favorite battle, so we mentioned favorite, favorite marshal. What about favorite battle? In the Peninsula War? Oh, no, no, more widely around the, the Napoleonic Wars. Oh, probably Austerlitz, because that was Napoleon at his best. And, you know, he had a smaller force. He, you know, enticed the Austrians and Russians to come at him just as he wanted to. He took the Protestant Heights and surprised the heck out of him. Just a, that's a textbook clinical how to win a battle with a, a smaller force. And, you know, the the Imperial, the Grand Armée, that was their finest. They trained for years at the camps of Boulogne on the French coast. They were just a finely honed instrument in that time. And I think that that particular battle illustrates Napoleon at his best. Friedland was a good battle for them as well. Ocana, the Battle of Ocana by Marshal Soult outside of Madrid was another textbook victory for the French. There's there's some great ones out there that that really deserve a lot of, I guess, merit and interest for your listeners. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's such an epic era. And I got a big obsession with Waterloo, having been to that battlefield as well. But that's, I mean, it is this sort of ridiculous battle that supposedly end the battle to end all battles. Yeah, and, and let's note, for the first time in his career, basically since 1795, Napoleon did not have his right-hand man, Marshal Berthier, with him. Again, as I mentioned earlier, the guy was a genius. He knew formations, how much ammunition each group had, where they were supposed to be. So he was doing the best he could without his right-hand man. So he put Marshal Soult in that position, who was a smart guy, but administration and sending off letters wasn't his best, I guess, forte. There's an instance where Napoleon said, hey, did you send this this message off to Marshal Grouchy? And, and Soult said, oh, yeah, I sent one messenger off. And Napoleon says, one? Berthier would have sent six. How do you know the one got through? What are you doing? So just little things like that. Even the before Waterloo, the Battle of Ligny and Quatre Bras were one or is marching back and forth because of poor orders from Soult. And I think it was Mar- General Derland's corps. They were heading to help. They started off with Ney. They were heading to help Napoleon. Then Ney turned them around to come back to his battle at Quatre Bras. And again, there weren't any clear orders for this General Derland. So he's, he's trying to help both sides. And he ended up helping neither one. And it really cost Napoleon in both battles. But that campaign still shows how brilliant Napoleon was, wasn't it? To, yeah. to split split the Prussian and British armies. Yeah, yeah. He was doing his usual thing, you know, the strategy of central position. And initially it worked at Ligny and, and Quatre Bras, but Waterloo, it works against him because he splits his army after those two battles. He sends uh, Grouchy off to chase the Prussians. And he allows himself to be flanked because the Prussians are able to get away from Grouchy flank Napoleon while he's engaged with Wellington. And basically that flanking draws all of his reserves from the Young Guard and the Imperial Guard. And he has no, it's hard to fight two battles at once. If you equate it to like a, like a boxing ring, 
let's say you're engaged with Muhammad Ali in a boxing ring and Joe Lewis shows up and you're, <laughs> you're trying to fight one great boxer at the same time and another one shows up, it's two on one, you're probably not going to win that, that fight. And that's what happened with Napoleon. Grushi, do we not rate Grushi much? I like Grushi. I, I think, he, again, he gets too much of the flack for not marching to the sounds of the cannons at Waterloo, but his job was to chase the Prussians. He did that. Now, could he have done a better job or done it more quickly? Maybe, but he won his battle at Wavre. You know, he extricated his force back to Paris to fight another day. And I just think, you know, Bonapartists love to blame someone. It couldn't be Napoleon. He's a genius. He's brilliant. Couldn't be his fault. You know, Wellington got lucky. There's no way this could have happened in Napoleon. So I think Grouchy gets a lot of that blame. Yeah. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's such a fantastic era. Do you, so you that's your favorite, favorite battle, favorite Favorite battle is 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 Austerlitz. Favorite, yeah. I think Waterloo is interesting. I think it just gets too much press. I think the Battle of Leipzig was really Napoleon's downfall. That was eighteen thirteen, I think October, and he hadn't really lost a battle. Where I mean, Asper and Essling in eighteen oh nine, he kind of he was unable to supply Marshal Lon and Messina and Messier. So he had to like basically pull back, but that wasn't like a true loss. It was more of a, I'd say a tactical a retreat, but where he really got his butt handed to him was the battle of Leipzig. He lost tens of thousands of troops. He had to retreat hastily or he would have been, had to surrender or been obliterated. So I think the battle of Leipzig actually is more, I think it's more pivotal than Waterloo, but I know Waterloo just for many reasons because it's the last main battle because it was such an epic fail it gets a lot of the press and it's a tidy end to such a long era of battles but yeah leipzig i think should get more more credit for destroying napoleon well we haven't mentioned the invasion of russia have we which i mean many people argue that's why the british were able to succeed in in the peninsula yeah, yeah, because he did. He Before 1812, before that invasion, he pulled a lot of troops out of Spain, a lot of really qualified troops out of Spain to attack Russia. That's a great point. Um, so, yeah, you have the Russian campaign. You have Ney, our good buddy. We have Davu, Mortier, Marshal McDonald, Scotsman, invading Russia. And it just from day one, it didn't go well. Now, he did conquer Moscow and Smolensk. But it just really wore down his army. A lot of great generals were killed or captured in that, that effort, and some just died of exposure. So he lost a lot of competent junior officers, middle officers, senior officers. And when he got back in 1813, his, he had a shell of an army that was escaping from Russia, and he had to replace them with new conscripts and people who just didn't know what they were doing. And I think that that... Those two things, the the Spanish invasion and the Russian invasion, which are the two things that were most fatal to his empire. Now, the British certainly added to that with the Battle of Trafalgar and their efforts um, in the Egyptian conquest. But I think, uh, yeah, his Russian and Spanish campaigns were what were his downfall. Well, that's a good way to end it, I'd say, John. The, the <laughs> destruction of Napoleon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, and... I heard someone describe like it, it's okay to like both sides of this. Um, I heard it. Someone described the Napoleonic Wars is kind of like reading about the Iliad. 
because it's been so long ago. You can like you can like things from both sides. Like the Greeks on one side, the Trojans on one side. Neither were saints. Neither were the the just side. So it's okay, I think, to look at it where all right, I, I I see where the Greeks were coming from, but I see where the Trojans were coming from. And the same thing here. Napoleon was upsetting the system. He was, you know, basically a non-royal becoming a, an emperor. And the rest of Europe, who were ruled by monarchs, were trying to destroy this this idea that you should be awarded based on merit, which we all accept as usual now or casual. But at that time, it was radical, and all these monarchs are trying to destroy this man who's phenomenally talented and you know and I, and I get messages from both Bonapartists and I get messages that you know Napoleon was the harbinger of death you know I think it's somewhere in the middle and and I I think that's what's interesting about the period you can like things from both sides and just kind of look at it objectively and I I am a Napoleon fan but I, I also see why his opponents were were so determined to get rid of him yeah, I completely see that. And, and I, I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no, thanks for having me on. This was uh, very interesting. A pleasure. Anytime, anytime. Generals and Napoleon's pod- podcast. You can follow us on Twitter. Uh, we have a YouTube page as well. And yeah, thanks for having me on the show. Great stuff. And I'll put links in the show notes. John, thanks very much. Yeah, great. Thank you for listening. I hope that's whetted your appetite because I welcome back Gordon Corrigan, the major when he talks us through the battle to end all battles, Waterloo, on the 208th anniversary. So I hope you can join me then. Plenty more coming up in the meantime. Until then, thank you and good night. <laughs>